so. Would you stand, please, as we read the Scripture? Would you be willing to do that? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible says, And they, that is Adam and Eve, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And we're going to focus on this and a couple other verses of Scripture, but let's, let's first, first of all go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord in heaven, so much for standing, you may be seated. I was one of those kids in school that was the know-it-all, the kid that everybody loved to hate. I was a natural student, and I worked very hard on top of that, and so there were few times that I did not know the answer to a question, but that did not necessarily help my attitude any. I remember in the elementary school years, I remember the teacher would get up in front of us and, and she would say something very simple. She would ask us a question. Maybe the question was something like, what is the capital of the state of North Dakota? Or something like that. Well, I knew the answer. And, uh, and I thought to myself, though, I thought, well, ma'am, if you don't know the answer to this question, why don't you sit down and let someone teach the class who does know? Now, I would like to say publicly, thank the Lord that I never verbalized those thoughts. You ever have thoughts like that? I never came out and said that, and I think we can all be grateful for that. I'm sure my elementary school teachers are grateful for that. But the reality is, I was too young to understand sometimes the teacher asks a question, not because she doesn't know the answer, but because she's trying to gauge whether or not her class knows the answer. Now, here in the Word of God, we have just read a question. Let me just be quick to assure you, the one answering the question did not ask the question because he didn't know the answer. Does that make sense? Let's, let's look at it again. It's here in verse 9. Let's note what the Word of God has to say. The Bible says in Genesis 3 and verse 9, they, the Lord God called unto Adam. So God is asking this question. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, the Bible says here is Adam and Eve. They have hidden themselves, and we're going to see that in just a moment. But the Bible says that God called to Adam and said, Where art thou? God is asking a question. And I want you to understand this as we, as we introduce the subject matter. God many times asks questions of men. Not one time is he doing so because he does not know the answer. God is not asking Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, are you under the azalea bush or behind the pine tree? That's not what he's saying. God knew exactly where they were. But rather, he is asking them a question to get them to face a greater reality. Now, I want us to note the context, and then we're going to understand a little bit about the greater reality. The Word of God says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. 
And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Let me just stop right there, and let me say that Satan's bag of tricks is, uh, it, it is nothing new under the sun, okay? Satan came to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he asked the question, Hath God said? You know, Pastor, we are still in a midst of a climate in the United States of America where people are putting a question mark where God puts a period. People are still asking, well, you know, I mean, do you really know you have a Bible? I remember a few years ago, the Da Vinci Code, and man, all kinds of questions at that race. That was nothing new. As a a matter of fact, Dan Brown was involved in a lawsuit for plagiarism. That's how old-fashioned Dan Brown's work was. But what was he doing? He was just casting doubt about the Word of God. We have all kinds of people. I'm sad to report to you today that there are some people who are independent Baptists who are raising questions and doubts about the Bible. A lady came to her husband. She had just moved from Wisconsin to another state, and she called up her husband. Her husband was out of town. She was all in an uproar. She said to, she said to him, she said, Our pastor began a series on the Bible tonight in church. He said, well, there's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful. She said, no, you don't understand. She said, sweetheart, our pastor said only 17% of the New Testament is in question. What? 17%? Can I tell you something? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. The Bible says the counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. The Bible says the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Can I have you to understand today that you and I need not cast doubt about the Bible? You see, Brother Paul, we're in an independent Baptist church on a Sunday morning. I understand that and I appreciate that. But many of you have a computer at home and many of you have a cell phone at home and I have the same things. But through the computer and through the cell phone, there are all kinds of voices clamoring at you trying to put a question mark where God Almighty puts a period. And pastor, I just about, this is not original with me, but I've just about gotten to the place where I say, you would not hurt your spiritual growth at all if the only preacher that you ever heard was your pastor and the people he had in this pulpit. You wouldn't hurt yourself. You know, there's a lot of people that say, oh, Brother Paul, have you heard this guy? I mean, he's got a podcast. Have you heard this guy? He's he's on the radio. Have you heard this guy? He's on TV. God help us. Sometimes people come to their pastor and say, have you heard this woman? She's preaching now, too. But let me tell you, those people may have some things that are good to say. But there is enough admixture of error that it is tripping people up in independent Baptist churches all over America. I had a couple come to me in Canada while I was preaching up there several years ago, and they didn't want to know a thing about the Bible. All they wanted to know is, what about this Internet preacher that I've been following? Can I tell you something? That Internet preacher is not going to come see you when you're in the hospital. It's just not. When your loved one dies, that internet preacher, uh, they're not going to do anything for you. They're not going to be there to hold your hand as you bury your mother. They're not going to be there. But your pastor is. 
And it astounds me that we have these loyalties to people that are not really going to do much for us. Now, let me say to you, get into the Bible and learn that when you are in the Bible, you are dealing with certainties. That's the way God deals. Satan causes you and me to doubt, just like he did Adam and Eve. And I better get to my message or we're going to be here all afternoon. But let me just say to you, Satan has been dealing in doubt from the very beginning. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, some people get all bent out of shape because Eve was technically adding to the Word of God at that point. But you know what? I think that's a great rule for life. If God said to you or me, don't eat of the fruit, and you say, you know what? Just to help me not eat of the fruit, I'm not going to touch it. I don't think it's a bad thing. Hard to eat what you never touch. Right? (laughs) Now, did God actually say that? No, he didn't actually say that, but maybe that was a rule that Adam added. We don't know, but that's what the woman said. And so the Bible says, the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Wow. That's the context. This first question that that God has ever asked of mankind is in the awfulest context that it could possibly be. Why? Because it was in that story and in that time frame that the entire universe was plunged into sin because of the decision of Adam and Eve to disobey a holy God. Can I tell you something? Adam and Eve had changed the world forever. Everything that you dislike about this earth is on this earth because of the decision, because of sin. And from that time until this, all of creation is groaning and waiting for the time when our Lord Jesus will come to this earth and undo and redeem all of this earth and undo all those awful effects of sin and this decision that was made. And it was this decision that alienated man, mankind from God for all, for all the rest of, of human history. And it was only because of Jesus Christ that that, that that alienation has ever become undone. And so God is coming to man. Man was created in a perfect place. Man had no uh, no problems. Everything was wonderful. Man had a task to perform. He could tend the garden and now man has thrown it all away by disobedience to God. Mankind has corrupted himself by sin. He has soiled the pure garments that God gave him originally and now they are dirty and they are filthy. And so God comes to mankind and he says where art thou? On the surface, it seems like such a simple question, but there's something far deeper that God is, 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 is asking and, and requiring of men. 
Because when God asks, where art thou, he really means this. Adam and Eve, you have sinned. But Adam and Eve, are you willing to let God cleanse you? Later on in the chapter, we'll be able to read how that God takes the nakedness of Adam and Eve, spoken of in verse 7, and He he makes animal skins, clothing of animal skins to cover them. Now, we, we assume from this, we don't have the details, but we assume that God did not create a, 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 a special skin without an animal attached. Okay? We assume that God took an existing animal and that animal gave its life and shed its blood so that God could then take the skin of that animal and make a covering for the shame of sin into which Adam and Eve had plunged themselves. And I want you to know that, that maybe that's true in Genesis 3, maybe it's not, we don't know for sure, but I will tell you that by the time you get into the book of Exodus, it's very plain. God takes an innocent animal and that animal sheds its blood to cover the sin of the children of Israel. And all through the Old Testament, we have an animal being shed, uh, the blood being shed to cover sin. All, of, all through the Old Testament, we have that. And into the New Testament, we have the same system spoken of uh, as if everybody knows what's going on. But in the book of John, chapter 1 and verse 29, there's a country preacher preaching down by the river. He's having an outdoor meeting, and I'm here to tell you, everybody comes to see him. The old boy eats locust and wild honey. That's his meal often wondered, did he pull the back legs off the locusts before he ate them? You say, why do you ask? Because those rascals are pretty strong, especially the back legs. Can you imagine getting your meal kicking you all the way down? I don't know. Maybe he cooked them for, I don't know what he did, but that's what he ate. That's what the Bible says. And so the old boy's preaching down there, and the Bible says he's baptizing in Jordan. He's immersing people as they, as they get right with God to identify that their life is different and they're going to be a changed person. And all of a sudden, he's just preaching up a storm, and he's just going like a house of fire, like he's fighting a swarm of bees. And all of a sudden, he stops. And he looks up on the bank. Well, he looks, everybody else says, what's he looking at? Wonder if he got some bad honey. I don't know. What's he looking at? Says he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Well, now everybody looks up there on the hill. There's not any sheep up there. He just said, Behold the Lamb, but there's no sheep up there. There's a man coming down. And John, the preacher, just called that man, Jesus, the Lamb. And he said, this Lamb is the Lamb of God. He doesn't cover sin like the Old Testament lambs did, but he takes away the sin of the world. I want you to know something, ladies and gentlemen, from Genesis chapter 3 and all the way through human history, God has always provided a way to cleanse the filthiness of mankind's sin. He has provided a way whereby mankind can be saved. He has provided a way whereby Backslidden, can, backslidden people can be reclaimed and all throughout human history God's question to you and me is the same that it was to Adam and Eve Adam and Eve you have sinned Adam and Eve you're away from me Adam and Eve you're hiding yourself Adam and Eve where art thou Adam and Eve are you willing to let God cleanse you can I tell you something that's an important question for you and me today 
Where art thou? Can I give it to you in Mississippian? Where you at? Where you at? I mean, where are you spiritually? The songwriter put it this way. How about your heart? Is it right with God? That's the thing that counts today. Amen. That's what the songwriter said. Great song, great little chorus. How about your heart? And so I want to ask you, as you sit in the Calvary Baptist Church, like Calvary Chapel Baptist Church on a Sunday morning, how about your heart? Where art thou? Are you willing to let God cleanse you? You see, there are two options that we have. We can surrender to the work of God as He begins to deal with sin, or we can somehow go about it our own way. Those are the two options. That happens before a person is saved. There are two options that a person has. A person, when they understand I'm a sinner, have two options. They can, they can say, well, yeah, I'm a sinner, and God, I know, you, uh, I know that Jesus died and was buried and rose again for me, but uh, uh, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to figure it out my own way. Uh, God, I know, that, I know that I'm saved, but you've convicted my heart about my coldness and deadness, and uh, you've, you've convicted my heart about my lack of faith, and, and, and you know, Lord, thanks, but no thanks. I'm just going to figure it out my own way. I'm going to tell you, mankind is full of people that want to cleanse themselves. Here's a great phrase, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Try it sometime. I've got a pair of boots on. I'm not going to try it because I don't want to embarrass myself, but I promise you this, I'm not going to get very far off the ground. Pull uh, my own bootstraps? What is that? It's ridiculous. We talk about self-made men. I understand. I understand what we're talking about when we say that, but let me tell you something. The God of heaven is coming to you and to me, and he is asking of us the exact same question that he asked of Adam and Eve. Where art thou? Are you willing to let God cleanse you? What is your answer to that today? What is your answer? Every religion of the world admits that mankind has come short in some way or another. Every religion. The Hindu religion, the, the Jewish religion, every, every religion admits some kind of shortcomings. The, the, where Bible Christianity and religion differ is in how we deal with our shortcomings. Somebody says, well, in order to deal with the fact that you've come short and you've sinned, well, you've got to, you've got to say so many Hail Marys or you've got to do this rosary or, or do something like that. And listen, you, that, maybe that'll make you feel good for a while, but you will never find that in the Word of God. Somebody says, well, you know, Brother Paul, I believe that uh, at, the, at the day of judgment, my bad works will be on one side and my good works on the other side. And if my good works outweigh my bad works, then God's going to let me in the gates of pearl. Well, man, that, I suppose that sounds great and all, but you'll never find it in the Word of God. In fact, you will go from Genesis to Revelation and you will never read one intimation in the Bible where a good deed cancels out a sin. That's right. It just doesn't. Yeah. So, and you say... You say, Brother Paul, I don't know about that. Well, let's just think. Does that work in real life? Suppose I go before the judge, and I have been, I, I'm going before the judge because I have been driving 120 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour speed zone. I didn't know you were going to look at somebody, preacher. <laughs> can, we all, can, can we all agree today that's just a little bit over the top? 120 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour speed zone. That's just, that's reckless driving. I don't know the laws of the state of Ohio, but uh, 
well, I could insert a lot of comments about Ohio drivers. I will move on. But at any rate, uh, the, <laughs> the truth is, uh, every state has different laws, but 120 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. And suppose I go before the judge, and the judge looks at the evidence against me, and they look at the, the evidence from the police officer, and I, I've, been dri I've been caught driving this far, and they, ha they have a, a picture taken of my license plate. They have the, the radar, the, the documentation, and the, that's all there in the court of law. And they know that I was driving the truck. It wasn't my wife, because if it had been my wife, it would have been 150. And so all of that is before the judge, and they look at that, and the judge looks at me and says, Mr. Crow. You are guilty of driving uh, too fast for conditions. You're, you're guilty of this. And I come before the judge and I say, but your honor, you don't understand. I help old ladies cross the street. So, I mean, that's got to count for something. You don't understand, your honor. I pay my bills on time. I don't, I don't pay my bills late. I pay them on time. And that's got to count for something. And, and you don't understand, Your Honor, uh, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the hurricane came through the Bahamas, I actually got on an airplane and went down and helped pass out waters to people because the water system had failed and they had to restore it. I, that's what I was doing in the Bahamas. You don't understand. I am a good person. How do you think that's going to go for me? You think the Ohio judge is going to say, oh, well, in that case, go drive as fast as you want, Mr. Crow. That's fine with us. If you can find such a judge, you better, better vote him or her out of office. No, the judge is going to look at me, and, and they're going to say to me, they're going to look at me and say, we don't care what you do. You drove 120 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. We don't care how many old ladies you help across the street. You're guilty. That makes sense, doesn't it? Can I tell you it's the same in God's economy? Somebody says, well, yeah, I know, I know I've sinned, but you know what? I, I, I give money to the YMCA. Objection, Your Honor. Relevancy? What's the point? That, how does that figure in? It doesn't. It doesn't. And so here we are. We are just like Adam and Eve. There are people today under the sound of my voice, maybe you're here, maybe you'll hear it by way of the internet, but you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. You have been said, instead decided, I am going to just try to effect my cleansing in my own way. By the way, that's nothing new. Adam and Eve tried it as well. Notice what the Bible says in verse 7. The Bible says the eyes of them both were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. I haven't seen many fig trees in the state of Ohio, but when I was a boy growing up in South Carolina, we had three in our backyard. Now, let me tell you something about fig leaves. They seem pretty tough, and they're big. They tend to be pretty big, at least the ones we had were. And so fig leaves, I mean, you would look at it and say, well, if I'm going to make anything to cover myself, fig leaves make, a, make sense. So the Bible says that's what Adam and Eve did. They grabbed these fig leaves, they sewed them together, they thought, I'm, not, I'm in sin, I'm going to cover the shame of my sin, and I'm going to take fig leaves. Fig leaves are really tough, they're really big, and it makes a lot of sense to use them, but something happens as soon as you rip them off the fig tree. They start to dry out and wither, 
And pretty soon what seemed to make so much sense all of a sudden crumbles and is completely ineffective and that's a picture of man trying to cover his own sin. That's a picture of man trying to cleanse himself. Can I tell you, maybe I'm preaching to someone here, you know Christ the Savior, but you know this morning that you're a long way from the Lord. You're in a backslidden condition and I just want to ask you, are you willing to let God cleanse you this morning? Are you willing to surrender to God and say, Lord, this is where I am. I shouldn't be here, but this is where I am. Lord Jesus, would you bring me back? Are you willing to do that? Where art thou, God says. The first question God has to ask of man is a very important one. Where art thou? And so I put it to you, where are you at this morning? The Bible says this, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go in your Bible, please, to the book of 1 Kings. Would you do that? 1 Kings chapter 19. God comes and asks a question of man. He says, where art thou? He's not asking for a geographical location, but he's trying to get man to realize that man has sinned, and he's really asking, are you willing to let God cleanse you? In the story of 1 Kings chapter 19, we have a saved man. We have, in fact, a prophet of God. A prophet of God who has just come off of the greatest victory, perhaps, of his entire prophetic ministry. He has gone to the top of Mount Carmel, which, according to the legends of Baal, was where Baal resided. And on the top of Mount Carmel, he has invited the prophets of Baal to pray to their false god until that false god sends down fire on a sacrifice. They prayed all day long, the Bible says, and there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. About the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And the Bible says that there he prayed and they, they, they put the sacrifice in order, they, they drenched it with water, and Elijah prayed and said, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that all this people may know that thou art God and that thou hast brought, brought their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, it licked up the sacrifice, burned up the sacrifice, burned up the wood, licked up the water that was in the trench, and all the people, when they saw it, they said, the Lord, He is the God. Biggest, most probably exciting moment of Elijah's exciting life. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, the Bible says in verse 1, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And they give it to you in Southern. Southern. May God kill me if I don't kill you first. That's what she's saying. May God kill me if I don't kill you first. And when he saw that, verse 3, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. I want you to drop down to verse 8, please. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Look at there. God's asking a question again of man. Well, we know... We know God knows the backstory. God saw the whole thing. And yet he comes to Elijah and he says to him, not where art thou, that's what he asked of Adam. 
But he says to Elijah, what doest thou here? Now, can I have you understand, I don't have time to go into the, uh, the geography, but your pastor will sometime in his preaching and teaching ministry. Elijah was called upon by God to be a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. The most he ever did with the southern kingdom is he wrote a letter to one of the kings warning him against sin. But he was called to be a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, he's gone all the way to Beersheba. That's at the southern point of Israel. That's like saying God's called this man to Minnesota and he went to Brownsville, Texas, right on the Rio Grande. That's what it means. That's what it means. That's not an exaggeration. God's called the man to Minnesota and he's, at, he's on the Rio Grande fixing to cross it. And that's exactly what he did. And the Bible says he left his servant in Beersheba and from there he went all the way to Horeb, the Mount of God. Where is that? Well, there's a big debate about where that is, but that's Sinai. That's where God gave the Ten Commandments. That's in the wilderness somewhere. And the Bible says, so that's like saying God's called him to Minnesota and then he goes to Beersheba, leaves his servant in Brownsville, Texas, and then goes all the way to Guatemala. Whoa, time out. God's called you to a different place. And so God comes to him and says, Elijah, what doest thou here? Elijah was not in the place that God had for him and now God is asking him what doest thou here now we know I've already told you God knows the answer to this God is trying to elicit something deeper from Elijah with Adam and Eve he was trying to get them to answer the deeper question are you willing to let God cleanse you now with Elijah here's the deeper question are you willing to let God sustain you Elijah, what doest thou here? Elijah, my grace that sustained you on Mount Carmel can sustain you as you flee from Jezebel. But Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, are you willing to let God sustain you? Now, child of God, I want to tell you something. That's an important question. That's a timeless question. You see, as you and I go forth and we endeavor to serve God, we endeavor to obey the God of heaven, it's not long before we realize, oh, no, I don't have what it takes to, to be all that I ought to be. I don't have what it takes. The Apostle Paul put it this way. Who is sufficient for these things? The Apostle Paul said, all of my education, all of my training, all of my background, it's not sufficient. I need the power of God. He wasn't sufficient. You're not sufficient. I'm not sufficient. And the day we realize our insufficiency to serve God is the day that we embark on the road to victory. Because when we understand my resources, my talents, my knowledge, my abilities will fall short every time without the help and power of God, I'm dead in the water. Until we realize that, we're going to struggle with defeat after defeat. It's amazing to me, Pastor, how many people sit in our pews and some of them realize I really genuinely want to kick this sinful habit, but I just can't. And you know, that may be true, but there comes a point in time where you realize I don't have the power to do it, but God gives me the power freely. And when I depend on Him, I can be victorious. Oh, all of a sudden, that becomes a new thing. Yeah. 
Maybe, maybe I'm talking to somebody, and as we talk about the Victory Gospel Crusade, something rises in your heart, and you think, you know, man, I, I'd like to do that, but I don't even know if I could lead somebody to Christ. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not the most outgoing person in the, the evangelist. Get up here and just start talking about being a greeter. I don't, I don't have the wherewithal to do that. Can I just, can I just give you a, a, a confession? I'm not the most outgoing person in the world. There are many times when I'm around people with, and I think to myself, well, they have a more winsome personality than I do. I mean, it would be, it, I would be very comfortable to just, just kind of sit in the corner and let those with a greater personality do it. And the man, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just sit there and enjoy the service and then go back and uh, get out my woodworking tools. And I, I'd be very happy to do that. Except that God's called me to do something different. God's called me to reach out and to get outside where I'm comfortable. And there are times when I say, Lord, I can't talk to that person about their salvation. You ever had God lay it on your heart? You need to give that person a tract. You need to do it. You don't have much time. They're getting in their vehicle. You need to do it right now. You ever argue with God about that? Maybe some of you are so spiritual that you never have, but uh, I haven't attained that level yet. I remember one time, the Lord laid it on my heart, you need to give this person a tract right here. The, the gentleman in question looked like a bodybuilder. He was shaped like the letter V. You've seen those guys, you know. He's got about a 58-inch shoulders, and he's got about a 34-inch waist, those kind of guys. You know, the guy's got to turn sideways to fit. To, I used to joke about that, but this guy, I, I don't know, maybe it was true about him. Big guy. And furthermore, he didn't look like he was having a good day. You've seen those people. I'm sure it was magnified by the devil, but I thought to myself, Lord, if I go up to give him a track, he could take my head off just like he was a black bear. <laughs> you know, that'd be it. But I, but I reached into my pocket and I reached out a track and I said, here, sir, let me give this to you. The good news of salvation. And you know what? Everything about his countenance changed. Oh, I said, thank you so much. I appreciate that. But you know what? Satan loves to get you and me to look at the obstacles and the reasons why we can't serve God. And you know what? Without the power of God, Satan's right. We can't serve God. But the good news is that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the good news is the day I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that God, the, the Holy Spirit, came to live inside me. And every single moment of the day, he wants to have control over me. We talked about in Sunday school, yielding your members. That includes your mouth. That includes your mind. That includes your hands and your feet and your faculty of speech and your ability to listen and hear and communicate. All of those are members of our bodies. And God wants us to lay all those out on the altar so that the Holy Spirit of God can take control and He can infuse them with His power. That's what we're talking about. But in order for that to happen, the Holy Ghost of God, being a gentleman, is going to wait for you to throw up the white flag and say, that's it, Holy Spirit. I'm done with my efforts. I want to depend upon you. That's what He's waiting for. And so now here's the prophet of God. He's done many great things, but now here he is running from Jezebel and God comes to him and says, are you willing to let God sustain you? How about it, child of God? As you hear these things about, about fasting, you think to yourself, Lord, there's no way I can do that. But are you willing to depend upon God? 
to help have him help you through it? He'll do it. He'll do it. Listen, for some of you, this whole victory gospel crusade thing, I mean, it's just, it's just wild and it's a, bit, a little bit novel and it's maybe a little bit harebrained in your idea. And what you are, you are like one of the children of Israel coming up to the Jordan River. And it's scary because God told you to go across, but Jordan overfloweth its banks all the time of harvest. Right now, when we left Mississippi, the Mississippi River was 33 feet above normal. And the snow hadn't melted in Montana yet. 33 feet. I can tell you, a river at flood stage is scary. You don't step into a river at flood stage. Jordan overfloweth its banks all the time of harvest. There's flotsam floating down there, and God only knows because it's a muddy river. God only knows what's in there. And yet God has said, cross the river. When God said, cross the Red Sea, He parted it first. But now God says, cross the river. Well, Lord, don't you want to do something first? No, God says, I want you to take the first step. And you know what? In sanctification, that's, what, that's the way it is. In salvation, God opens the way and He shows us the way to the cross of Calvary and how He can cleanse us of all of our sins. But in sanctification, He's waiting for you. He's waiting for me to look at that river and say, Lord, I don't know how I can live a holy life. I don't know how I can be a prayer warrior. I don't know how I can be a witness for you. And God says, dear saint of God, won't you take the first step? Won't you put your, foot, your sandaled foot into that river, that river whose bottom you cannot see, that river whose contents you do not know. Put your foot into that river and watch God do a mighty work. But you and I have got to answer the question in our minds, are we willing to let God sustain us? You read about revivals. Revivals are very physically taxing, but there's an element that nobody can explain. Great revivals often, they go late into the night. And yet nobody complains of being tired because God sustains us even in our physical bodies. I think that's going to happen in the Victory Gospel Cruise. I know it has happened before. And I suspect it's going to happen again. But God has a way of sustaining us. Are you willing to let God sustain you? There's one final. I, I, I preached away my time here. I, I'm, I apologize for that. You say, Brother Paul, it's not a problem. Well, maybe not for you, but my stomach is growling. Let's go to Exodus chapter 4. Can we do that, please? Exodus chapter 4 in our Bibles. Exodus chapter 4 is the story of God calling Moses. You remember the burning bush. God spoke to Moses out of the bush, and God said to him, Take off thy shoes for the place where thou standest is holy ground, and so forth. And all, we, we understand all that. So God called Moses in Exodus 3. Moses argued with God in Exodus 4. He basically said, Lord, you got the wrong guy. Who am I that I should go? That's the question. By the way, the Lord willing, I don't, I don't know if you use the bulletin board inserts that Brother Dwight and I have been preparing, but that's going to be a bulletin board insert. Who am I that I should go? We're going to answer that from the Word of God. Matter of fact, it's got me so fired up, I've got to move on or I'll preach for several more hours. All right, now notice what the Bible says in Exodus 4 and verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Now watch verse 2. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? Glory to God. Another question. Another question from what you got in your hand. Well, Moses looked in his hand and he said, uh, a rod. Lord, it's an old dead stick. That's what it is. 
But you all understand if you read the story that what God could do with that old dead stick defies scientific explanation even to this day. The, there are three questions that we've considered. Where art thou? God is asking mankind, are you willing to let God cleanse you? What doest thou here? Are you willing to let God sustain you? Now this one, what is that in thine hand? What is God asking? God knows it's a dead stick. God knew the tree that it came from. God created the tree that it came from. All of that was put together by God. God watered it. He, he did everything so that that tree would grow and that rod would grow powerful and strong. And when somebody came along to cut it off, it'd be available for Moses to use as a shepherd on the backside of the desert. God knew all about that. He knew what Moses was capable of as long as that rod was in Moses' possession. But God came to him nevertheless and said, what is that in thine hand? Here's the deeper question this morning. Are you willing to let God use you? Are you willing to let God use you? To Adam, where art thou? Are you willing to let God cleanse you? That's where it starts. To Elijah, are you willing to let God sustain you? That's a very key decision. But now to Moses, he says, Moses, are you willing to let God use you? Can I tell you something? God wants to use every single one of you today. Some of you say, oh, Brother Paul, I don't have the gifts. Listen, listen. God did not ask Moses, what's in your brother's hand? That's, right. That's not what he said. He said, what's in thy hand? Pastor, there's a lot of people, they open their hands, and what they see in their hands is different from what they see in somebody else's hands. And so they say, I don't know that God can use me because what's in my hand is not as good as what's in his hand or her hand. Can we just get that out of our minds this morning? Can we just expunge that from our thinking process? And can we understand this morning God wants to know what's in your hand. The answer is, for Moses, it's just a dead stick. Okay, Moses, with, armed with that dead stick, I want you to go against the most powerful empire in the world. That's, that's what he's asking him to do. I want you to go against the army that has the most up-to-date military weapons with that dead stick. But wait a minute. When Moses surrendered that dead stick to God, what happened? Well, to start with, it turned into a snake. We got any snake handlers here? And y'all got a ball python at the house that you get out and you do? Okay. Yeah, you know, when I was a teenager, I had a friend that had a ball python. <laughs> and I held the thing, and I know they're gentle snakes and all that. But uh, it just, it just kind of got out of my system. It just kind of got out of my system. Now, I don't need to touch your ball python. I don't need to touch him. I know he's gentle. I know, that they're, I, I know all of those things, but I don't need to touch him. And I had a friend that had a Burmese python. He was, I mean, the phrase mean as a snake, he's the one that wrote that phrase. I mean, this, this thing was, you get close to the, to the aquarium where this Burmese was, he'd strike at you. Just, just because. I don't know why. He just did it because. I'm going to tell you something. If, if that rod turns into a snake in front of me, I don't want no part of it. But God said to Moses, pick it up by the tail. We got any country boys in here? You don't pick up a snake by the, by the tail. Are you kidding me? No, I want the business end. I want the end where the, where the tongue's coming out. And he, he can beat me with his tail all he wants to, but that's not the dangerous part for me. Where we live, we got moccasins. That's not something you put on your shoe. <laughs> That's a snake, and they're mean. 
We got those in Mississippi. We got copperheads and all that and rattlesnakes and all that. But, uh, man, those moccasins, they scare me. But you, if I got to pick up a moccasin, no, sir, I'm getting a business hand. God said, pick it up by the tail. Moses obeyed God by throwing it down. He obeyed God by picking it up, and both times God did something miraculous. Right, right. Miraculous. And you know what? That just started a whole long line of obedience to God with that rod so that you read what God did with that rod in Moses' hand. It will blow your mind. Moses stretched out his rod, and all of a sudden there were boils and lice all over, folks. Two different plagues, two different times. Moses eventually came to the Red Sea, stretched out his rod over the Red Sea, and the Red Sea parted. Wow. They got into the wilderness, and they were dying of thirst. Moses took the rod, and he struck the rock. And it wasn't a little bitty stream that came out. It wasn't your little Japanese koi pond that you have in your backyard that's so beautifully landscaped. That's not what came out of the rock. There were 600,000 men, plus their wives, plus their children, plus their flocks, plus their herds. It was a huge reservoir that came out of that rock. All because one man gave his old dead stick to the Lord. What's in your hand this morning? What is it? The Victory Gospel Crusade, it's on my mind. It's on the pastor's mind. I mean, the pastor's been meeting with people for, man, oh, I think it's over a year they've been praying. I've been, I've been joining uh, just for a few months and, and praying because they finally gave me the code to get on by way of telephone. But, I mean, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. One time my fa- I was praying on the telephone. My face actually accidentally hit the end button. I was praying to God, but the rest of the people said, what in the world happened to Brother Paul? Some of them started to toy with the partial rapture theory. He's gone. I don't know why there he is. But no, my cheek hit the off button on my phone. God heard my prayers. But the rest of the men wondered where I was. But let me tell you something. As we head toward this thing, there's a lot of fear and trepidation, but don't worry about that. Don't look around and say, hey, I don't, I don't, I don't have the spear that's in his hand. All I got is a dead stick. Give your dead stick to God. Give your dead stick to God. Give your dead stick to the God of heaven. The God who made it, the God who made you, the God who knows you and loves you. And then step out on faith and wait and see what he'll do. Can I tell you something as we look at these questions? God has taken the most insignificant things and done the most significant with them. I've got a list of, how about the woman's rope? By that I mean Rahab the harlot. Didn't God do something miraculous with that rope? Yeah, saved a whole family by marking this. The people that are in this house don't get destroyed with the rest of Jericho. A rope, that's it. But God used it. The jawbone of an ass, a donkey's jawbone. God used it. Who cares about a dead donkey? But God used the piece of that donkey's body to work a miracle. How about this, a shepherd's sling? Just a sling. But God used it, didn't he? How about this, the widow's oil? What do you have in the house? I don't have anything. I just have a pot of oil. By pot, we don't mean pot. We mean just a little pot. I mean something like a a vial of perfume. That's what we mean. That's what the word pot means. It's a small thing. I don't have anything but a little, little bitty thing of oil. And yet God used it. How about the little boy's lunch? All I got are five loaves and two fishes. That's all right. We're going to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. Do what? 
But that's what God is in the business of doing. There's somebody here. All you've got in your hand is a dead stick, but God wants to use you immeasurably. Would you come to him and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to cleanse me. I want to depend on you, and I want to surrender everything to you. Take my dead stick and use it. That is what God is looking for today. God's asking you questions. How will you answer? How will you answer? Father, I'm so grateful.